Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 44th episode. As a mental performance coach, I get the honor to work with athletes and teams to enhance their mental game and unlock their full potential. You know, in the drive in creating 90% Mental, it was basically to bring awareness around mental performance within sport by interviewing athletes and coaches so they can talk about their perspectives and stories with regards to the mental game. But for the most part, there's so much to talk about within the world of sports when it comes to mindset. So today I have Mike Pulowski, former professional and UC Berkeley quarterback, to talk about why it's important to buy into the mental game if you want to be an elite athlete. And for someone who has won bowl games and championships, Mike knows a thing or two about developing a competitive mindset. And one of the reasons why I asked him to be on my show is because he has so much energy about this topic. And he's going to talk about mental toughness, visualizing your performance, focusing on the right things, the next man up mindset, and why it's important to be a positive role model. I can't wait for you to listen to his passion regarding this topic and just hearing the lessons from a professional quarterback. So without further ado, let's go talk to Mike. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Grant. Thanks for having me on. You bet, man. I'm excited to to talk shop with you, quarterback to quarterback. But also, this is a, a special treat for me because growing up, uh, watching you play football at Cal um, and being from the Bay Area, which is a special treat to see that and see all the good things that you did for Cal. But today, we're going to be talking about your mindset as a quarterback and how your mindset and all the experiences that you developed as a football player, how that's helped you in life after football, and we're going to talk about the companies that you're, you're running right now, so I'm really excited to have you on my show. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to it. Awesome. Well, as I do this uh, every show, uh, my favorite question I like to ask everybody is, what does mentally tough mean to you? At the basic level, mental toughness is the ability to overcome the human condition, right? The human condition is you want to do the least amount of work for the most amount of benefit just like water, right? Path of least resistance. And so that's, that's the human condition by nature. And so being mentally tough means that you're able to overcome that natural instinct for comfort for a greater goal, right? You think about it um, when you think of a quarterback, for instance, you know, the most comfort would be don't stand in the pocket and take a shot because you know, that's going to hurt, but because there's a greater goal there to complete that pass, you're willing to stand in the pocket, take the shot to deliver that ball last minute because that's when the receiver is going to break open. So, you know, in terms of quarterbacking, that's it. I know I'm going to get hit, but I'm going to throw the ball anyway. That's, that's the mental toughness. Right. Um, in, in everyday life, it's pretty easy in that, you know, if, if you're a new parent, anybody who's been a new parent before, a lot of the younger kids won't understand this yet, but you'll get it eventually and you'll think back, oh, I remember when he said that. When you have a newborn baby and they're born, you get no sleep no sleep whatsoever, but you have to keep functioning, right? You have to keep pushing through. You have to do the right things, you know, for this new child, this new responsibility that you have. And so you push through that stuff. You're mentally tough enough to get through it, to do it right, to treat that baby the, you know, the way they need to be treated uh, for, for proper care for that child. Um, And if you look at soldiers, you know, these guys are, are the epitome of mental toughness in that they are acting and executing on their training and their orders while bullets and bombs are flying. I mean, that's as mentally tough as it gets because you know you're in harm's way, but you're still going to overcome that human condition for comfort to accomplish the goal. And that, that's mental toughness, and that's what it boils down to. 
and you see it in every aspect of life. Absolutely. And when you think about soldiers, it's uh, even even on top of mental toughness, it's it's a fearless mind that you have to have when you're when you're a soldier. I mean, don't get me wrong. You play sports. You have to have a fearless mind, too, but at a different level. Uh, Yeah. And I understand that's just uh, that's kind of a terminology. Uh, You know, one thing about mental toughness is if there were no fear, there would be no need for mental toughness. Right. Right. Because you wouldn't fear anything. You just go do it. And so it's not fearless. You're scared. I guarantee you when bombs and bullets are flying, you're scared, right? right? As a quarterback, when guys are coming at you right in your teeth, you're scared. You know it's going to hurt. But the ability then to overcome that instinct for preservation, the instinct for safety for a greater good, that that is – it's not fearless. It's the ability to handle that fear, compartmentalize it, and make it less of an influence over you than – the task at hand. That's that's toughness. Yeah, exactly, man. That, that's perfect. I love that definition. You know, when, when you think of your career, is there a moment or moments where you can identify like where you were mentally tough? Was there a, a, a story within your journey? One. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to just to play the just to play the position. You got to be mentally tough. Just to play the game, you have Hell to be yeah. mentally tough. Even as a kicker, right? Because just you got to go to camp and you got to get through that. That takes mental toughness. That takes discipline because nobody wants to spend all that time on the field. Your body hurts, everything, you know, it's miserable, but you're doing it again for a greater common goal. Um, You know, there are times when as a quarterback, you know, this grant, you have to to literally take that team on your shoulders and say, we're going to do this. And you have to be kind of the, the spine, the backbone for that team, because it's, tough situations you're seeing the faces in the huddle where guys are down and they're you know they're starting to grind and you need to take that pressure off of them and and create that belief in them if they know you're the guy you got this then they have that confidence and that confidence lends itself a lot to mental toughness and so i, I think it happens it, re- it occurs every day it recurs in sports constantly um and so i think there's a ton of times you know there's, there's one my my former arena coach talks about mike daly who, in my opinion, is the greatest coach in the history of arena football. Um, and actually, we're having a reunion of our championship team this weekend up in Albany, so it's oh, pretty cool. Beautiful. But, but he talks about it. We're playing New York, uh, the Nighthawks, and we're down by two touchdowns, and there's seven seconds left in the game. So there's no way we're winning this thing. There's not a chance. And I, I refuse to lose on that play. I literally stood there in the pocket with a linebacker bearing down on me, waiting for my receiver to come open. And he, he said, he's screaming from the sideline, throw it away, throw it away. But I'm standing there, and I take one in the teeth just to deliver a touchdown pass so that we lose by seven and not 14. Wow. And it was, it was that refusal to quit. You know, that, that occurs in almost every game at some point. But that's the one that he points to. He's like, right there, I just knew, you know, you were tough enough to take a bite out of an anvil, and that was all there was to it. And, and that, that's, that's kind of, that, that, that epitomizes it to me. Well, you know, again, growing up watching you play at Cal, there was your, your and I'm going to ask this question about your play and your mindset, but from my perspective, there was that will, like when we say the will to win, like you actually felt it when you played. Like there was, it didn't matter, no part, it didn't matter if you were ahead or you're, you know, behind. The way that you were mentally tough, the way that you just felt that your spirit of winning, like you weren't giving up. And to me, it had a little bit of an Elway feel when you played. But um, what? 
how would you describe your play and your mindset as a quarterback? I, I did. Um, I always refuse to lose. Uh, you know, I, I, when I talk to young players, when I talk to people that I hire now for my companies, um, I, I want them to set the highest possible goals that they can ever conceive of attaining. Because if you set mid-level goals and you fall short, then you're less than average. Mm-hmm. You know, if you set high goals and you fall short, then you are average. But if you set, you know, astronomical goals um, and you don't quite reach those, there's a place there that it's still a fantastic achievement and it's okay. Everybody fails, but you, you will always fail if you don't try to attain the highest possible level of your capabilities. Now, I'm not saying something ridiculous. You know, I'm not going to flap my wings and fly to the moon or anything like that. <laughs> but when I, when I came out of Cal, you know, there was a quarterback competition between Perry Klein and myself uh, as I went into my junior year. And, you know, the reporters kept saying all the time, because Perry was a wonder child coming out of L.A., you know, he was the first big-time high school quarterback, Steve Clarkson guy, uh, and, and he was a really talented quarterback. And I was, you know, a slingshot guy with a bad release and, you know, I, I, my feet looked slow. And so I, he looked prettier than I did. There's no two ways about it. And the reporters asked me, they said, well, you know, do you think you're going to beat out Perry Klein? And I literally told them, I said, look, if my goal was just to beat out Perry Klein, that's not a very high goal. And it's no knock to Perry. It's just my goal is to be the best quarterback in NC2A football. That's what I'm striving for. Within the confines of what we do as an offense, as a team, my goal is to be the best quarterback in the country, period. I'm not worried about Perry. If I can achieve that goal, then everything else takes care of itself. And so that's what I'm striving for. That's what I'm looking for. And, and that's the way I approached everything on the football field. I just felt like I believed I was going to win, um, which, which actually gets to a really – important and interesting point about mental toughness is, is that you have to look at yourself. You have to visualize yourself as the ideal of what you want to become, right? You, you have to think about what is it that I want to become? What is it that inspires me? What is it when I look at quarterbacks and I kind of chuckled when you mentioned John Elway, cause he was that guy for me growing up. Mm. What do I want to become? Who do I want to be? What kind of, what kind of leader would I want to be? And how do you want other people to recognize you? How do you want them to see you? And so that's what you have to visualize. And then you have to continually repeat the mantra to yourself that that's what I'm going to be. That's what I'm going to become and hold yourself to that standard. The more you repeat something, whether it's true or false, the more you repeat it, the more it becomes the truth. And so the more you fixate on becoming that ideal of what you want to be, the more likely you are to become that. So visualize it, see it, feel it right experience yeah. it that's the guy i want to be i'm proud of being that dude that's who i am that's who i'm going to be and you and you work into your play you work that into every practice you work that into your social interactions that you become that guy and when you become that guy then the mental toughness has already taken over because it's the discipline of wanting to be that guy you will do the things that it takes to get you there man 100 percent. i love it i love it man and you know you were talking about you know, visualization and, and mantras. And, and these are the things that, you know, when you think about mental skills training or mental performance, there's all these different techniques like mantras and self-talk and visualization and breathing, mindfulness, and the list can go on. Now, you, you talk about that, 
did you were you introduced to mental skills training or or sports psychology at all while you were playing at Cal? I asked my dad this <laughs> when my son was born. I said, you know, I have always been crazy competitive for from as far back as I can remember. When I was four years old, you know, I refused to lose. Uh, that was kind of who I was. And I said, how did you teach that? What did you do? And he said, you just kind of, that was you. That's who you were from the time you were little. Um, and so I had that built into me. Now that said, with that built into me, you have to refine that. We, we talked to a sports psychologist uh, for a couple weeks while I was at Cal. Um, and it was lit- literally just coming into kind of being a real thing, right? right. Sports psychology was just kind of hitting its stride when I was playing in college. And that was 1988, I think, that we met with him. Um, and the one thing visually and in, in for understanding that he gave to me was understanding the biology of the process. So before games, I used to yawn all the time, right? I would get out there and I'd, oh, I'm yawning and I'm you know feeling like, why am I yawning before a game? Am I not pumped up and I'm not? You know, and I'm concerned about that because I feel like <laughs> mentally I'm not in the right place, you know. Right. But when I spoke to him, he told me about the physiological process that's going on. That's the fight or flight response. And so your body is prepping for what is about to happen by trying to oxygenate the blood. That's why you yawn. You try to oxygenate the blood, pick yourself up, get yourself away. And so physio- physiologically, my body was saying, okay, time to fight. Let's get some oxygen in here, understanding those physiological processes and how they affect our minds takes away a lot of the anxiety that you get as an athlete going into competitions, going into plays. Um, and, and as you're about to face that stress, right. As the stress level picks up your body, physiological, physiologically doesn't understand if that's a saber tooth tiger in front of you, if you're you know in battle right. or if you're playing a football game, your body doesn't know. It just knows that my stress level is up. And so it responds with stress responses. And if you can conceptualize and, and idealize, oh, that's my body responding, which means I'm ready. My body is taking care of itself. I'm ready. Right. And once you can get that mindset and understand that, it takes away that anxiety of, whoa, and why, why am I yawning? You know, whoa, why, you know, I'm not, your body's there. It's ready. It wants to go. You'll be <laughs> fine. Understand that and, and take away some of that stress which then helps you perform at a much cleaner level because you don't have a little stress hiccups that happen when you're feeling that anxiety. Yep. Yep. And you know, when I, when I played there, there was a few times where I was yawning and I kind of questioned it a little bit at the time, but you know, working with athletes right now for the last, you know, three or four years recently, actually, and he would love for me to talk about this, but Luke Batari, who is the quarterback for Sarah High School, who won the state championship mm-hmm. last year, and, and I've done. Some, I did a couple of his games. Yeah, and we were. I was working with him last year, and he was like, he. We were talking about how he was feeling, what his routine is, and he and he shared with me. He goes, he's like, but man, I yawn every every game, and I just, I don't like it. I feel like I, I'm like I'm not ready. Right. And I'm like, right. But you are like. You, your body, like you were talking about that response, your body either going to get really nervous because it's getting ready, it's at stress level, or it's going to do the exact opposite. Either two, they're okay. They're good. You just got to let you know, you have to let, let yourself know that it's okay. Like it's good. It's going to yeah. help you. You have to, you have to pass that mental checklist, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a good thing. That's it's not a bad thing. I'm good. And, and once you have that, it, it takes away a ton of that anxiety because 
this is why athletes are so superstitious, right? Little hint. I'm, I'm going to give everybody listening to this a life lesson out there. You can control maybe 10% of whatever happens in your life. That's all you can exert control over, period. End of discussion. Um, there are so many things that happen to you outside of your control in life. But that 10% makes a huge difference in how you come out of things. And so if you control your understanding that my body is there, I'm ready, I'm set. And regardless of whether I'm ready or set, I'm going in. That, I mean, that, I'm kicking <laughs> in this door. It's going to happen. Right. So regardless of how I feel about being ready or set, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It's about to happen. And so focus on what you have to do. Get rid of that stress response. I'm going to focus on one play. I'm going to focus on the first thing I have to do and get that done. And, and if you can get that mindset and have that singularity of focus on that single thing, then it gets rid of a lot of that anxiety and it makes the game way cleaner for you because now you're not thinking about, Oh, did I, you know, did I forget to put my you know, stuff in my locker this week? Did I break right. that? You know, it's that superstition. I, I had a, when I was at Cal, my junior year, I was crazy superstitious. I was a baseball player uh, in high school and baseball players are all crazy by nature. <laughs> and so we, we, you know, you just get superstitious, right? Cause you can't control pitches. You can't control anything on the field except for that one action of swinging the bat or, you know, fielding the ground or I was a catcher, you know, so I was a little more involved, but you get so superstitious because everything's out of your control. And so going into my junior year as a starter, first year starter, anxiety levels up all the time, stressed out all the time. Cause like, I've got a same routine, same routine, same routine. And it, it used to drive me bonkers, right? Cause I was just a kid. I'm, I'm 19, 20 years old and I'm trying to manage all of that. And so going into my senior year, I said, I'm going to start a new tradition. This year, as my superstition, I have to do at least one thing differently every week. Wow. I have to do something different. I don't care what it is, you know, whether it's the way I tape my ankles, whether it's who I use to tape my ankles, whether it's, you know, whatever. It, I just have to change one thing at least each week. And I did that psychologically knowing that if I did that and changed one thing every week, I'd break the whole chain of superstition. <laughs> Because wow. I'm doing something different all the time. Right. Where's the, you know, superstition doesn't have any control over me anymore. Right. And so literally that broke the chain of superstition for me right there. And I was done with superstition for the rest of my career. Do you think that helped you in any way with your performance your last year at Cal? Oh, yeah. That and a fantastic offensive line, of course. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, right. That always helps quarterbacks. But, but yeah, I think, I think. There's a comfort level being a second year starter, having gone to a bowl game for the first time since 19, what was it, 77 prior to that? Yeah. You know, there, there was a lot of that. Having some success. Success breeds confidence. Confidence improves play. It's why the great ones are great because they've gotten over those initial hurdles of, oh, yeah, I can do this. And once you can do this, now it's easy to think, how can I do this better? Yeah. And how can I improve my game? And how can I increase my maximum potential with little things, technique, um, reads, keys, all those different things as a quarterback. I used to teach rookies. I, I gave a speech to rookies every year when they came in. Uh, I played my last five years in Albany in the Arena League with the Firebirds. We won a championship in 1999. And then I played uh, in the XFL my last year. And so every year when the rookies would come into camp in Albany, I would sit just the rookies down and I would tell them, look, you guys 
are either going to make this team or cut yourselves. Nobody else is going to cut you, but it's going to be you. And here's why. You have to have the ability as a pro to focus every single snap in practice, in games, in preseason, in warm-ups, no matter what it is. On top of that, you have to have the ability to focus on every single rep in workouts and every single sprint in conditioning. You have to be able to focus when you're eating on what is the right thing to put in my body. Yeah. Right. You have to, you have to be able to do that all the time. Totally. And that kind of constant ability to, to focus. And when I say focus, I mean being on top of your game saying, I am going to execute exactly what I'm supposed to do on this play. I'm going to get this rep the way I'm supposed to get this rep. I'm going to eat the things that have to go into my body and have that attention to detail to be a pro. You have to have that level. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do because naturally we just kind of want to fade out. And, you know, even though I gave that speech, there were times in practice where I'd be like, what are you thinking about? Get focused <laughs> back up on practice. Right. 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 Because again, that's human nature. And so I would, I would literally give that speech to rookies every year. And the ones that got it, the ones that really understood what I was saying and focused made the team period in a discussion. Those guys always made the team. They could be slower, right. They could be a little bit shorter. They could be, they could have deficits elsewhere, but if they focused like a hundred percent, you know, one at a time, all the time, those guys were going to make the team every single camp yeah. period. And the other guys that let it slide, that were, you know, slapsticking around in the locker room that weren't in their playbooks, right. That were kind of drifting off and film when they're tired. Those guys didn't make the team and they cut themselves. Right. You know what I love about it is the discipline that you're talking about, but one thing that I talk a lot with my players and also on the show is the next man up mindset. And to whether if you're a starter or not, but if you're going to try to make a team, you have to have that mindset of I got to get ready. And if you're if you're going to be backing someone like you, you have to do everything that you were talking about because you just don't know when your number is going to be called, but you have to know the rhythm if you're going to be pulled into a game or into the season and to finish off the season or finish off the game, you have to be able to walk into the rhythm of that game or the, or the culture of that team. And if, you, if you're not doing the necessary things that you were talking about, you're going to fail. And you've seen these people just last year. You've seen a ton of quarterbacks, the next man up, you know, Case Keenum, uh, Nick Foles. Right. Even though he was the man but before, but they, they have gotten themselves prepared for that moment. So I love it that you have those, those conversations with rookies. It's great. It's, yeah, there's there's nothing harder. And again, I played football, so I can say this as a quarterback. There is nothing harder than as a backup quarterback stepping into a game and executing at a high level. Oh, yeah. Because you haven't gotten to that rhythm of the game that everybody else is at. They've already gotten in. They've, they've you know, gotten their nervous system settled down. They're, you know, they're ready to go. That's a hard thing to do. Plus, you have less reps. And so... Yeah, way less reps. I mean, yeah, it's for, for anybody at home who doesn't know, NFL guys, as a backup, you may get two or three reps with team stuff a day. Everything else is individual work. It's throwing one-on-one drills. It's doing all that. But in terms of actual team drills, you know, with ones, you may get 10 reps a week total. And so you have to learn everything else wow. by watching. Yeah. And because, you know, you got to get your starter ready. That's just the way it is. 
and if you have a guy like Tom Brady, who, you know, Sarah guy, stud, yeah. um, who's been doing it for long enough, he, you may get a couple extra reps, but I, you know, from what I understand, Tom is pretty greedy about his reps too, as you should be at right. that level. Oh yeah. And so you need to get those reps because you're going to be the guy facing the bullets first. Big time. Uh, and so backups, you, you, what you have to do is when you get into huddles and you're running scout team stuff, because the backup takes the scout team stuff, and the third guy, whoa, he gets no reps. But <laughs> right. your backup gets in the scout team stuff, and they have to look at the play that's on the card and say, this is our play. Let's execute it like our play. And you put your name of your play on it, you know, strong right, 60 pig, whatever, whatever it is. And you put your name on it. And you have to run it like your play, read it like your play, get those mental reps. So that takes even more discipline than being the guy who's a starter coming in saying, I'm going to run this play now. Right. And we call it out and everything's on the same page. No, no, no. I have to get this scout team onto the same page that this is our play. Here's how we're going to run it. And there may be a change or two in it where you're running back and say, oh, yeah, you would normally do this, but here's your route instead. A lot of discipline. And then it takes a lot of discipline to – stay focused in that position our human nature once again the easy route right is to guard our ego and if we're not the starter if we're the backup to guard our ego make it oh it's no big deal in that position every every quarterback who's at that level is a leader by nature period. oh yeah big time and so to guard their ego it's like ah it's not you know it's not that big a deal no you have to invest as if you are the starter and you have to play in practice in games, take those same reps, give that same focus on everything, just like the starter would, just for that next guy up scenario. Big time. You know, I, I don't know if you know uh, Tony Graziani, but um, yeah, he played a couple years for the Falcons, played uh, Oregon Ducks back in the day. And I had him on my show just solely talk about the next man up. And he also played in the arena, arena football as well. Yep. I knew, I knew Graz when he played in the arena league. He shared something with me that was just really like it, it, it totally I did not know this, but it made it made sense. But he said, It's one thing when you're being the backup quarterback and you have to be ready and you're doing all the right things. But the thing is, at the professional level, all the plays are being designed for their starter. So some of those plays that are designed for the starter might not be designed for me or not be good for my arm or whatever. Well, especially as a lefty, right? Yeah. You know, and he goes, you know, with um Chris Chandler, you know, he's like he he tended to get hurt a lot. So I had to come in yeah. and I had to play his game and not mine. And I go, wow, interesting. Yeah, the offensive set, the quarterbacks will sit down with the offensive coordinators and say, I don't like this. I do like this. Let's take a look at how we approach this. What if we tag this with this route? And so you really get the offensive set designed for the starter. I would go in every Monday on our off day with our offensive coordinator and we, he would literally <laughs> – he was young. This was in the arena league and he was young. It was his first year. And he went on to become a head coach and a good coach, but he would come out with like 85 plays. And, uh, I would come into the meeting and I'd say, okay, we're only going to run 60 <laughs> and we're going to run hitches six or seven times. We're going to run, you know, post out combo a couple times. We're going to run, you know, four or five other plays a couple times. So quite honestly, we've already burned 20 plays. So I don't know why we need 85 plays going into this game. I want guys to play fast, which means I want to minimize what we have to do on offense. So we're taking this out. I don't like that set. I like this, but we'll put that in for next week. Once guys have learned it, I don't want any new learning for this game. Um, we'll run this set. I like that play. And I would literally go through and tell him what we were going to run. Wow. And because of that, we were so efficient and my reads were so quick and I understood keys reads, everything that, 
I could execute at the highest possible level. That's what Graz is talking about. Yep. If my backup has to come into the game and I've already set that playbook where I want it, that may not be his forte. It may not be his strength. But he's going to have to run what I've set up. And so it makes it tough. If you become the full-time you know, starter at that point, now they start tailoring things to you. Although they'll also force some square pegs into some round holes in that situation too because they like it. Right, <laughs> right. But, but you, you will – you will have to initially run an offense that's tailored for the starter, and it makes it really difficult to be successful. Yeah, uh, 100%. Well, when we, when we think about your legacy at Cal, you know, reading a ton of articles on your legacy, I would say for the most part you've been deemed the number three quarterback of all time behind Joe Cap. How do you feel about that? It tells you that wins mean a lot, <laughs> you know, because think about the guys you're talking about coming through Cal, right? First and foremost, the guy who's most underappreciated at Cal is Troy Taylor. Yep. He was the quarterback ahead of me. He taught me the game. Um, he was genius. He is football savant. You know, he's brilliant off the field, but he's football savant, just gifted. And because he didn't have a huge arm and because he didn't win a lot, he didn't get you know as much credit as he deserved because he was a phenomenal, phenomenal quarterback. And then Craig Morton, Steve Bartkowski, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Cap, Kyle Bowler, uh, Gail Gilbert. You know, let's go down the list of all the guys that have played there. Right. Um, there's been a lot of really, really, really good quarterbacks through Cal. So it's it's really a big honor you know to be in that position. And and none of us, none of those quarterbacks did it without the team around them. Big right. Time. You know, it's it's having an offensive line, having receivers, having running backs, having a defense. You know, one thing that Cal has not been famous for for over the course of the years is having good defense. Right. Um, we've had good defensive players, but not a, not a solid defensive unit where it's a shutdown team. And so having all of those things come together plays a huge part in how people view us. Uh, now, that said, it goes back to. You know, the mental toughness, when I talk about visualizing the person that you want to be, visualizing the ideal of how you want people to see you, I always try to do the right thing, period. I wasn't the guy who thought that being a football player, you don't have to be a role model, right? It's one of the things that I really dislike about Charles Barkley's stance. Well, I'm not a role model. Well, yes, you are, just by virtue of what you do. Right, exactly. You are. Kids, Kids look up to you. And so you need to understand that. And you need to behave appropriately for that position. It's really, it's quite an honor and a gift to be able to play this game at a high level. And yes, it's based on our accomplishments and our talents and everything else, but there's also responsibility associated with it that we need to be the ideal for that next kid, right? Like yeah. I said, John Elway was mine. I love John Elway. He was, he was the guy that I idolized. And so he was my ideal, a guy who would do the right thing at the right time, Huge arm, great player, winner. And so I always felt it was my job to be John Elway for the next kid, for whoever that might be. Whether, yeah, and whether, obviously, I didn't have the physical tools that John had, but to try to be that ideal that a kid could look up to and say, I want to be that guy. So if it means staying after practice and signing autographs, you know, staying after games and hanging out with the kids that are down there on the field, letting them experience the game and, and that you know, once in a lifetime opportunity to come meet one of these guys that was just out there playing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I laugh, you know, after the fact, I know John now I've, I've hung out with him a couple times. I was, I was calling the Cal Stanford game. Uh, and John was just about to buy the arena team in Denver. And 
I came over and I saw him like, Hey John, how you doing? Good to see you. I'd met him when I was a rookie in Denver on the field for the first time. And he was like seven foot five, right? <laughs> you know, he's just huge, huge. massive. And John, you know, Oh, I'm a rookie in this little, you know, orange Sherbert uniform with the Tampa bucks and John Elway's right here. And just awestruck. And then I come back and I meet him on the sideline of the big game where now we're both ex quarterbacks playing the game, you know, guys who have had pretty good success at their schools. And I look at him and I'm standing eye to eye with John Elway. I'm like, wait, weren't you taller? <laughs> Didn't you used to be, you know, way bigger? Cause that's what it seemed like. Right. Um, and, and he goes, Hey Mike, how you doing? Good. Yeah. Great to see you. And he goes, dude, I've been watching you in the arena football league. It's awesome. And I'm thinking, wow, John Elway is watching me play. How cool is that? <laughs> That's awesome. You know? <laughs> and so it's funny how it kind of always comes full circle that when we're at that young age where we're impressionable and we see these guys that are just, I mean, mammoths, right? Yeah. Titans. And we're thinking, this guy's awesome and amazing. And I want to be that guy. And then you meet them and they're just regular guys who do the right things. Yeah. That's it. Regular guys who do the right things. I want to emulate what it is that I idolize. Right. For the kid who comes behind me. You know, I, I, when I was playing, too, I, I, it was an honor for me, especially to be a quarterback for, you know, the three teams that I played for. But it was, it, but it was that responsibility that I loved. Um, I think a lot, whether if you're a quarterback or not, you can still have that same honor and responsibility. But I never felt like I, I have to do this, like doing the right things or being a leader or on and off the field. I get to do this. And when you, when you have that mindset – it's um, you're empowered and you and you actually I just feel like it feeds you to do the right thing when you get to do this not I have to do this so I love that you touched on that because I think there's probably a lot of players that need to kind of revisit that that mindset for sure oh nowadays especially right it's it's become it's you know there's the me too movement out there right now but it's been the me movement for quite a while I think the internet you know social media all that plays into that how can I focus on me? How can I, how can I make this about me? And it used to be that peer pressure was a good thing in the locker room in that you could lean on guys and say, look, you need to step up. You need to be accountable to our team goal, to our, everybody's focused on a singular goal. That's what makes athletics great because you don't find that in the real world. And I'll tell you this, I, I played athletics, you know, college, high school, uh, pro ball for 11 years, as soon as you step out of that locker room, you don't find that same singularity of focus on a common goal. And you, and you do that in spite of the sacrifices that you have to make on a personal level. Right. right. And so athletes, and this is why De La Salle has been so successful. It's why, you know, Sarah with, with P-Dub is, is <laughs> so good. He carries that along. Cal High now, you know, a lot of the acolytes from De La Salle carrying that on to other schools. Right. There's accountability to your brother, to the dude sitting next to you on the bench in the locker room. You have to be accountable, and you will be held accountable, period. That's important. That that matters, right? That's why athletics is one of the best teachers for society, because you will be held accountable. Nowadays, with political correctness, they consider that shaming, because you can't hold them to that standard because – I don't want to hurt his feelings. I'm not concerned about his feelings. Quite honestly, (laughs) I'm concerned about a team goal, right? I'm concerned about this team 
performing at his highest possible level. And if he doesn't like it, he should go golf because that's an individual sport. But I want him to perform as my teammate. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to carry the water for him, too. I don't just expect him to do it. I also need to be held accountable. Exactly. And so I am going to live that ideal, but I expect my teammates to live that as well. Big time. And and that's that's what is just phenomenal about athletics. You, you only find that in athletics and the military. Those are the two places you find it. Yep. And you don't find it anywhere else in life. I agree. And it's it's the singular focus on a common goal with everybody pulling on the oars that makes that happen. Yep. And that's, that's, it's, it's the amazing part about athletics. It's the part that really I miss most, right? Guys talk about the locker room. Well, that's really what it's about in the locker room. You know, you can go in the locker room and you can, you know, bust chops and everybody can rake on each other and have a great time because you know that as soon as you step out of that locker room, that same dude who was just making fun of your mom and your hair and your car and your girlfriend is now got your back and he'll take a bullet for you. And that's why you can say anything in the locker room because you know, regardless, this dude's got my back, period, end of discussion. Yep, and it's no greater feeling to know, regardless if it's an offensive, defensive player, it doesn't matter. When you know someone's got your back and you've got their back, it, there's no better feeling. There's just a, a sense of connectedness. It's awesome. It's, it's really cool. My, my uh, coach, I've played on some really good teams that way, and I've played on some really, really bad teams. The Miami Hooters was the first team I played for in the Arena League because they paid me the most, and that was a mistake. I went where the money was instead of going to an organization that had good moral character. And, and that locker room was full of cancer. It was all about me. It was all about, wow. um, and I don't see me like, you know, as a me, it was all about the individual. Uh, each individual was out for their own. Right. I got mines. I got mines and it doesn't matter what anybody else had. That was <laughs> cancer. I hated it. it. It was soul sucking. It was awful because that's not what athletics are about for me. And so that was a horrible situation, horrible environment. Um, but then I got to Albany and I literally told this is Mike Daly, who I was talking about earlier. I said, I will come back and play. I was going to go to law school and I was going to quit playing football. And I said, I will come back and play only and only if you and I build a high quality character together. Yeah. The only way I'm coming back, period, end of discussion. You and I will sit down in that meeting room and we will discuss the players on the team and who we want sitting next to us when we go to battle. Because if we're not doing that, I have zero interest in coming back here for cancer because the team had some issues in the year prior. And he said, uh, he's got this Maryland accent. It's really high. When he gets excited, his voice gets all you know, up there. He's like, all right, partner. All right, I'll do it. And we literally sat down over the next two years and built the greatest character team that I have ever been involved with. Now, my Cal team here was a high-quality, high-character team super intelligent guys, guys that I love and I still talk to this day. It was fantastic. But that arena league team, because that was the entire mindset, I don't care if a guy runs a four, three, if he's cancer, he's gone. And we are going to stop this with the best quality character dudes that we can get with the most talent, but character came first. And we built that. And in 1999, that team won the championship and was subsequently voted the greatest team in the history of arena football. Beautiful. And we weren't and we weren't the most talented by any means. It's all about character. But they did have the highest character and they worked 
harder and focused better and were tougher than any team in the history of the game. And that's the truth. Your character goes a long way. And I've, uh, like you, I've been on teams where the characters have been incredible and some of them very toxic. So I actually applaud you for actually, you know, standing up for yourself going, if I'm going to do this, it's got to, it's got to be the right way, um, which is awesome. Um, and which is funny, you brought up P-dubs, you know, some of the, some of the things that he says when we're, when we were coaching is he never wanted these players. He calls them dig me players, like dig me, look at me. Yeah. Yeah. And so yep. he would like, I got mine. Yep, that's, that's exactly. the same saying. I got mine. <laughs> exactly. So yep. you make a great point. So when you think about your whole career as a football player, how did that, how did the experiences as an athlete help you life with life after football? It's, it's that ability, the mental toughness. There's a lot of things in life, newsflash for anybody at home, there's a lot of things in life that are going to suck, period. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you have to go through a lot of things in life that, that just you would much rather not face. Um, but learning to persevere in the face of those things, you know, I, I've, I've built now six companies and we're working on our seventh company right now that actually kind of dovetails into what we're doing here today. We've got a, a new company that will be launching in August called EliteAthletes.tv. Um, and it's, it's all about coaching high school athletes with exactly what you're talking about, Grant, with, with mindset, with, uh, it, there's a, there's a ton of, um, coaching and, and technique work and everything else, but, but it, it's, we have several Olympic medalists. We have several ex pros, um, and, and building those companies, there's a lot of stuff that sucks. You know, this, right. As you <laughs> yeah. built your company, yeah, it, it's, it's hard. It's not easy. Just like athletics. Athletics is not easy. Like, athletics is not for the faint of heart. You want something easy, you know, go do something else because athletics ain't it. But there's, there is a goal and an accomplishment at the end of the road that if you put in the work and if you show that discipline and the mental toughness that you will not get by doing something easy. Nothing good ever comes easy, period. True words were never spoken. Never spoken. It's you only appreciate the things that you have earned. And that's why kids wreck their first cars when mom and dad buys them for them, right? <laughs> they don't think about iPhones. It's, it's all that stuff because they didn't have to pay for it, right? And if you pay for it with sweat, now it means even more. Yep. And, and that's athletics has taught me that. And, and it's, it's taught me to put my heart and soul into what I'm doing here and to have the toughness to overcome those setbacks that you're going to face. You know, if you go into a sales job, you have to have some fortitude, boy, because you're going to hear no a million times. And not only that, people are going to dodge your calls. Oh, yeah. There's going to be all kinds of bad things going on on that front. But if you have the fortitude to get through that, eventually you find your stride, you find your rhythm, and you have success and accomplishment. And it goes for every walk of life. Doctors, you know, med school, that ain't easy. You know, <laughs> if, if your residency, that ain't easy. You know, lawyers, law school, if you go to a, a top quality law school, they got dudes stealing books in the library so that you can't study for the test. Right. You know, it's, it's it, nothing in life that's good comes easy. And you just have to have the perseverance. And that's what athletics has taught me. Persevere. Persevere. Continue to work and be tough and persevere. And you're going to have accomplishment in the end. Big time. A couple more questions here before we wrap up here. Uh, when you think about your whole experience as a football player and also as an entrepreneur, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Um, that I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the ability, having the ability to 
ignore ego, right? Peer pressure. We peer pressure ourselves too. My ego doesn't want to get hurt. It's frail. All of our egos are frail. And so I learned early on that I was a slave to my ego in that regard, as everybody is. And that for me to be able to overcome, to step out of that box, to become a better person, I had to ignore that self-preservation aspect that is your ego and to think of myself that way. And I had to take a realistic understanding, a realistic look at who I actually am and what I can actually do. And when you, when you come from it, you kind of purify your vision on the world in, in that you look at things, like I was talking about earlier, doing the right thing for the right reasons, right? Um, you, you get rid of that frailty of your ego, and you can just be a better dude. I had uh, the opportunity to play with Anthony Munoz uh, in Tampa. He had, he had retired from the game, but he decided he wanted to play one more year. And, you know, he was maybe the greatest offensive lineman in the game at the time. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal dude. Went to USC, unfortunately. And <laughs> I'm sorry, did that come out? And before a practice one day, he literally sat and talked with me for two and a half hours. Now, I'm a rookie. He didn't have to talk with me. And this, this guy is football royalty. And he sat and talked with me for two and a half hours about football, life, just general lessons, kind of a conversation like we're having here. Um, and he, and he told me, by the way, he had just gotten back from baseball fantasy camp, right? So here's the greatest offensive lineman of his day who went to a baseball fantasy camp. Talk about, you know, overcoming your ego. <laughs> he, he's like, oh, I'll just go. I'll, I'll be like one of these guys off the street and go to this baseball fantasy camp. That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but he literally told me, he goes, look, here's the deal about football. And it's, it's just the truth one way or the other. There's, Everybody who's here in camp is talented enough to make this team. Not everybody's going to make it. First round pick, guys get higher you know, status, and, and all the way through. There's the social tiering, the whole nine yards. And he says, but people think they have, that they're talented, or they have a gift, or that, that being an athlete makes you special. So being an athlete doesn't make you special. It means you have a talent. And it's no different than a chef. It's no different than a good driver. It's no different than a painter. Everybody has their own talent, right? And you have to be aware of that and not think that makes you special. Being a good person with that talent in that platform makes you special. And that, that stuck with me. Being able to peel back my ego of being an athlete and being special because I'm an athlete. No, I'm not special. I've just got a talent. Right. But if I can be a good person and a good role model, now I can start down that road to becoming special. And so that, that's, that's the thing that kind of, when you get to the brass tacks of everything, what is my legacy going to be? Well, I, I try to do the right thing for the right time, for the right reasons all the time. And that's, that's what I would like my legacy to be. That's, that's what athletics and that's what, you know, kind of the course of it, kind of self-awareness have taught me. Big time. Well, I think what you're doing right now, you know, with your career and what you've done, uh, you know, throughout your football career, I think you're, you're, <laughs> your legacy is heading in the right direction. Um, when you think about social media, how, how does my listeners, how can they follow you on social media or follow some of your companies that you're running right now? Right. So we have, I have my own TV production company. We've been doing outdoor TV for about 20 years. So if you like to hunt and fish and get outdoors and shoot guns, uh, we do that. The show is called Gridiron Outdoors and it's on Outdoor Channel. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook uh, Gridiron Outdoors. Um, you'll see a partner company that we built with it is Go Wild Camo, and it's a brand new approach. It's an athletic approach to 
uh, hunting wear and camouflage clothing so that you can be incredibly comfortable and functional while you're out there in the field. And so that's GoWildCamo.com. But you can find us on both those places. Love for you to like our page, take a look at what we're doing, because Gridiron Outdoors, like the name implies, we bring other former pros and college coaches out to go hunt with us in the field right now. Uh, I'm a Ruger brand ambassador. We use Ruger firearms and, you know, FLIR brand ambassador. And so we have a lot of really good companies kind of involved with what we're doing. And if you want to see any of that, you can come to our website, come to our Facebook page, uh, and come check us out. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Mike, man, this I, I literally could talk to you for another two more hours about this and just about football and mindset. This is uh, this has been a treat for me, and I know it's going to be for my listeners. And your energy about football and character and doing the right thing, it's just, I think it's what we need to hear. And, um, and I really am honored to have you on my show, and I really appreciate uh, you sharing your thoughts and your stories. Well, I appreciate you having me, brother. I think, it's, I think we need to hear more of it in society these days. I mean, even our politicians aren't good representatives of what we should be, right? They should right. be the ideal, but instead it's all about them and their party instead of about the right thing in fact. And so I think that's what we need to boil down to. The majority of Americans believe in the truth, and let's get down to the truth and being the best people we can be. Big time. Big time. I agree. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me on. Good talking to you. You bet. 